I'm Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for Comscore, and it's an absolute honor to have on my many screens, Big Picture Podcast, Brock Bagby, Executive Vice President and Chief Content and Development Officer at B&B Theaters. Brock, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Well, let's get right into it. I mean, there's so much to talk to you about. When I was putting together my questions for you, I'm like, what am I going to ask Brock? And suddenly I had like 14 questions written up because I find what you do fascinating. You and your family own a movie theater chain, but it's family owned. And I want to get into that a bit because it's unusual. We always think of these big theater chains, but let's talk about B&B theaters, the history of the company and how your and how long your family has been in the business of bringing that big screen experience to your patrons? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, so um, we are the largest privately held theater chain in America. Um, Fifty six locations, five hundred thirteen screens. But uh, we didn't we didn't start out that way. So we're ninety eight years old. My great grandpa started the company in nineteen twenty four, in a little town called Salisbury, Missouri. He got off the train, saw the theater was for sale, thought it was a good idea and bought it. And that's how we got into the theater business. That that's theater amazing. had employees, you know, it was a functioning theater. And one of the employees was played the piano for the silent movies. Oh, okay. Eventually she became my great grandmother. He married her. And <laughs> the two of them started, my, my maternal mom's last name was Bills. So it was Elmer Bills Sr. And, and the Bills, they started Bills Theaters Incorporated. And when my dad's dad, so other side of the family, was 10 years old, he went to work for them as a popcorn boy. And this was before child labor laws, right? This was back in the, the 30s and 40s. <laughs> and uh, he went off to World War II, came back, loved the business so much, started his own chain of theaters in Kansas. Eventually, back to my mom's side, Elmer Bills Sr. and his wife, and my great-grandma, had a son, Elmer Bills Jr., who got into the business, went to college, came back. And, and continue to grow Bill's Theaters. So my dad's dad, Sterling, and his wife, Pauline, my mom's parents, Elmer and Amy, had kids, of course, which were my parents. And the two families were always good friends. They went to conventions together. They went on summer vacations together. They were just close family friends. My parents literally grew up together. And eventually in college, they realized that they would never find anyone that had more in common. And they fell in love and got married. And uh, in 19, so they, felt they got married in 79, 1980, the two became one. So Bagby and Bills became B&B Theaters. Okay, very cool. And so now my sisters and I are the fourth generation. In 1980, when the two companies combined, there were 17 screens. And today there's 513. So uh, we've made some headway since 1980. And uh, my, like I said, my sisters and I are fourth generation. All three of us running different departments, but combined we're running all the departments. And then my dad and is president, CEO, and chairman, and my my mom is an owner with my dad. And uh, now we've got eight. They've got eight grandkids. No, seven grandkids under eight. And so we've got wow, seven okay. fifth generations already in the works. And they're the <laughs> official screenplay testers. They test our new playground equipment in our theaters. So um, we can talk about screenplay in a little bit. Oh but, yeah, uh, that's the you know ninety eight years in about two minutes. So. I love that. You really concisely put that together, Brock. I love Thank that. You. I mean, is there, with this literally or figuratively, however you want to say, say it, baked into the familial DNA, is there anything else you would ever want to do or would that have just not even happened? I mean, it just seems like it's predestined that you've got entertainment 
coursing through your veins and wanting to deliver a great experience to audiences. It's in our blood. We love it. You know, my, my whole family have been showmen and showwomen and we, uh, we were never told you have to do this. We were always encouraged to live your own life, go explore, do whatever you want. Um, but I, I, I mean, at a very young age, I started working at the theater at 14 and just fell in love with it. I was, I was on run track at 16, you know, looking at the numbers <laughs> and, and, and yep. obsessing over box office and numbers and theater rankings. And um, I always loved it. And I went to college, you know, for business to, to, for this reason. And, and in 2011, my junior year of college, we opened a theater in the town where I was in. So I got to manage and it ended up being at the time our top grossing theater. So it was really a great learning experience. Wow. A lot of people have to go to do an internship somewhere else. It was kind of just built in that you could do that. And what great experience for you at a young age to be able to do that. And, and it's rare that you see that kind of continuity between the generations. But let's face it. You guys aren't building widgets. You're doing something really cool and fun. And probably you could strike up a conversation with anyone from any walk of life. And they're going to want to talk to you about what you do over almost anything else because you're in the business of movies. But I want to talk about how your family obviously is left brain, right brain. In other words, you know the business side, but you're also a film fanatic Uh, if I may be so bold and really love movies, but I think that's really important in order to do what you do. So, I mean, but I think you understand not only that it's important to be devoted to the movies, but also the patron, the moviegoer, the film fan, the person for whom you are their host for at least a couple of hours. That seems really important to you and your family. Is it audience first, then the movies, or is it the movies first, or is it all baked into that cake that it's kind of all those things coming together i think in a lot of ways it's all encompassing but our history is small town america you know we still have 20 of our 56 theaters are still small town america you Mm -hmm. know and we're the only thing in town there's no bowling alley there's two options there's football fridays or there's going to the movies and so we have to entrench ourselves in those communities and we in every community not just our small markets we're we're part of the chamber we're part of the kiwanis club you know we're 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 in all those clubs we go to the events we set up booths at the fall festival and we're there on football friday you know selling popcorn i mean we're very entrenched in the community and i think that's one thing that has set us apart as we've grown into the bigger suburbs or exurbs we we still really try to carry that and so we tell our managers yes count your hours when you go to the 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 community gathering count your hours at the festival we want you to be a part of the community and and even in some larger markets we are still one of the best out of home forms of entertainment. And, and it's still cheaper to go to our theater than go to the Chiefs game here in Kansas City. So it's uh, we, we really believe in that and we really pride ourselves on that, kind of that history of the small town family atmosphere, but then try to invigorate that into the bigger communities. And, and now, you know, especially in the last 10 years, we have really tried to uh, be customer, you know, it's, it, we were always good at customer service, but now it's about comfort and amenities and concepts and how can we differentiate ourselves but also we're one of the only circuits that have fully converted our small towns to recliners. I mean, all, a lot of the, you know, the bigger groups out there just walked away or have never been able to do it. But, you know, we were one of the first to pioneer small town, t- small town recliners and it worked there. Uh, our first three was, was a junction city, Kansas, which is a big military town. 
Harrisonville, Missouri, tiny little suburb south of Kansas City, and then Wildwood, Missouri, which is a huge suburb in St. Louis, and all three worked, and we were like, we this is this is going to work everywhere. So uh, it's all about the comfort and the experience as well. So what you're saying is you really look at the community that you're in. You're not looking at this from a thirty thousand foot view. You're really at the granular level deciding, hey, we need to put recliners in these theaters where a bigger chain might not be that locally focused. Correct. That seems to put you way ahead of the game, I, I, I would think. And maybe that's a great segue into my next question, which is what are some of the day-to-day -day challenges of running a movie theater chain? And how, how do you, and I think you kind of addressed this already, differentiate the experience in your theaters versus the bigger, let's say national or global chains? Yeah, I mean, we have five core values, family, fun, joy, integrity, and innovation. Love so it. Those we really try to live by. You know, we say welcome to the BNB family from the frontline employee to the family itself. We, we try to incorporate this whole family atmosphere. Um, so one of our biggest day to day issues is personnel. You know, we want everybody to feel happy and and, and we are always working to make everyone feel a part of the team and, and feel important and valued because everyone we need everyone to make this this work. Um, and so, you know, there's always personnel things. How do we, you know, keep this ego okay or keep everybody uh, and but but then you know recently the biggest challenge has just been supply and demand you know we we've struggled to get concession products you know there's there's been shortages you know random things like we couldn't get our our cherry flavor shots for six months you know but people want those uh on right our, on you gotta our, have those uh, the vanilla flavor shots the kernel seasonings we were at you know so that has been a struggle and then the labor market as a whole um our theater side really has been fine. The frontline stuff, you know, it's still cool to be the theater employee when you're 16. You get the free popcorn and the free food, and you know, you get to take go to the, go see some movies and stuff. Um, but the 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 restaurant side, the bar and grill side, the kitchen side, we've really struggled, just like the rest of America, to, to staff that um, as we've come out of COVID. And and it's getting better, but it, it's it's certainly been difficult. Well, you know, the theater manager is very important, right? So you've got you're the you're on the top line um, management part of it, but I know you're very hands-on, but you can't be everywhere at once, right? Right. So you rely on theater managers. How closely do you work with your individual theater managers to come up with new innovative promotions or ways to get the audience excited about upcoming movies, but not just the upcoming movies, but going to your theaters specifically? Yeah, we work really hard with our managers. We have a, a monthly call with all the entire company all the managers assistant managers um, all the way up and one thing we do like when we when we came up with our premium large format our grand screen we actually did all the managers and up got to take a vote on 10 different options and and they got and that and those options came from all the managers it was and we narrowed it down to our favorite 10 and then our what ended up being the bnb grand screen was what was voted on so that wasn't a choice that just the family came up with it was a unified decision um our slogan bringing hollywood to your hometown actually mary pat mcintyre who's been with us for 30 years back in 1985 or 86 came up with it and we've been using it ever since so we try to engage our our teams Obviously, Screen X is Screen X. I can't change the name, and it's a great brand. We love it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But but anything that we've done in house, we we try to incorporate the team and how do we work together. And then on promotions, yeah, we listen to our. We have uh, breakout sessions at managers meetings and want to hear ideas. How, what are we missing? What are we not knowing? What's happening in the field? Obviously, we have a whole a wonderful team of district managers that have all been with us a long time. You know that report back and oversee a lot of theaters. And one thing we're really proud of is we have more district managers per theater than any of the top 10 chains. 
we don't try, we try so hard to not stretch them thin. So most district managers have five to 10 sites where, you know, some of the, the, the bigger ones might have 35 sites or 40 sites. Oh, that's so something we really pride ourselves on is, is we want those DMs to be able to give that custom attention to their managers. That's, that's really, I hadn't thought about that. that, that when we think of theater managers, I think of the good old days when it's just one, one person at one theater being the manager, but you have to manage off in many locations, which has multiple screens. So that's really cool. It seems like you understand, obviously, the importance of not spreading the manager too thin because then they can't give that individual attention to each theater or the patrons. Uh, could you describe some of the promotions you've worked on over the past few years and how did that change during the pandemic? And obviously, this conversation could not go all the way through without mentioning the challenges of the pandemic, but we'll get more into that later in the in the, sure. our discussion. But how did you, so what are some of the pro promotions you've worked on over the past few years that you're really proud of? How did that change during the pandemic or did it change? Uh, and how did you modify your marketing strategy and your in-theater experience during the pandemic era, so to speak? Yeah, so historically we've always picked 10 to 12 movies a year that we thought were our bread and butter. And we called them project pictures, which I know a lot of people use that name. And we would really spend a lot of time from the marketing team, but even down, you know, talking to the managers about, okay, these are our pictures. These are our movies this year. How can we work together to make this special and memorable and, and make it an event? And so, you know, when Toy Story came out for Toy Story 4, we'd had four key stations and everybody got to build their own four keys opening weekend. And it was huge. It went viral on, on social. Um, for it, we had, uh, when it came out, all the ticket takers had the red, uh, or the, sorry, the yellow rain jackets. And we gave every single customer that saw it a red balloon on their way out that was aired up. Um, for uh, neighbors, the first neighbors that came out, as our, we normally give a mint to everyone as they leave. That's something that we do that's kind of special. But this time when neighbors came out, everybody got a ramen noodles packet, <laughs> and, you know, because college neighbors. So, so yeah. we, we try to do a lot of unique stuff like that. Um, and and we, we've, we always see our market share grow anytime we do a project picture. I wish we could do one every week. Um, but when yeah. we do hone in on that, our market share grows drastically. And it, it's, it's, it's telling that, you know, people are looking for something unique and different. In terms of COVID, you know, we... We had to transition very quickly to how are we going to, you know, get people in the door. Well, first, how are we going to get reopened because we've been closed two, three, six months, depending on the market. And then, what can we do to get people in? So, you know, we did the ninety-nine dollars shows. We 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 were one of the first to do that. Um, and and then it got even cheaper, you know, and it was varied. And can and we you sold. describe that what for for the audience what you're referring to there? Yeah, so you could run out any basically any retro movie and have the whole auditorium to yourself for ninety-nine dollars. Um, and it was just an incredible deal. People loved it. And then, you know, in some of our smaller, you know, there was 20 seats or something, some are really small recliners, auditoriums, you know, we would even lower it for people. And, um, and people, it was crazy. I think we did over half a million dollars in, in those rentals during COVID, which is a lot, you know, when considering yeah. there was nothing coming in. Another thing we did big, you know, we did a, a popcorn curbside, which a lot of people did. We were pretty early in it. I think May was our first big one. And uh, I'll 20. May, May of 2020. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was, it was, the whole point was to go towards the healthcare for our, our managers because we wanted to continue to provide health care throughout the entire pandemic. And so it was a big campaign. And I, I'll never forget one of the presidents of distribution called me and said, 
what is going on? You're number one in the, in the nation today because the popcorn was pre-bought online. You showed your phone, but because of the way it was all set up in our system, it reported the, to Rentrack. And so the CEO was like, <laughs> what is going on? It says miscellaneous revenue. You're number one in the nation. What is going on? And I said, it's popcorn. <laughs> so I love uh, it was that. a really fun experience. And we were so eager to get back that our entire family worked it. And our flagship here in Liberty, we had 780 cars the first night which we blocked traffic, the police came because we blocked traffic to help with traffic flow. It was so crazy. <laughs> so that was a really neat experience. And we ended up doing that several more times throughout, throughout until we reopened. Yeah, well, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you about the day I shall never forget, which is March 20 of 2020, when essentially movie theaters uh, by no fault of their own, but because of the pandemic were in, in essence, forced to shut down. In our Comscore data, we were showing the week before 5,000, over 5,000 theaters open. And almost overnight, it went to a, just under 100 theaters. Most of those were drive-ins. We'll talk about drive-ins in a little bit. But what was that? And, and we'll get into much more positive things, but we have yeah. to address this. What was that like for a family that your entire existence, not every bit of it, but I mean, in terms of the business, is tied to the movie theater. Uh, what was that like? That must have been a pretty devastating time. I know for anyone who loves the movie theater, such as myself, it was it was not a fun weekend. That was the, for me. That was the first weekend in about thirty years that I didn't really have any box office to report on that Sunday, and that was and for you and your family, that must have been very challenging. What was that period in back in March of twenty twenty, late March? When theaters shut down. Yeah, it was it was it was awful. My sister, who lived in LA for I don't know, 15 years, was actually in the process of moving back and she moved back and officially got into her house March 17th. Oh, wow. And we were so thankful she was here because we got to have her here to, to work through this together as a family. Um and she was moving back to be closer to the, the corporate office and stuff. Um, but it was it was devastating. Of course, none of us knew what what was going to happen long term. You know, we initially were like, okay, we'll be closed a month and everything will be back to normal. Of course, that didn't happen, but it was, it was awful. We were, there was a lot of tears, you know, we had to furlough. We had typically with that, you know, about 2000 employees, we furloughed all but 12 um, yeah. after a few days, knowing that we weren't going to be reopening. And that was some of the hardest calls we've ever had to make. And of course we couldn't even do it in person. We had to zoom because we didn't know. So we're yeah. zooming our people that have been with us 30 years oh. and telling them we don't have a job for you right now please stick with us. And, you know, we, we were bawling and, and these people are like family. I mean, yeah, this guy, this coworker of mine, he's, he's been with us since the early eighties. Everybody calls him uncle Dennis. I mean, even though he's not truly blood <laughs> uncle, but, but yeah. I mean, and, and it's just to, to, to call these people and, and tell them that it was, it was absolutely devastating. Yeah. Um, now, luckily we didn't have to do that too long, but, but it was still awful. And, and, you know, for four generations, nine, at that point, 96 years, we had never closed. You know, we got yeah. through World War II, never closing. Well, think about that. I mean, theaters don't close. They're open no. seven days a week. Right. And they might close overnight, obviously, yeah. but they yeah. never close. And that that really is significant for that to happen, especially, again, you're a family devoted to, to the movie theater. And I know there were a lot of naysayers at the time who said, pandemic accelerated the inevitable demise of the movie theater. It's over. Uh, people are going to stay at home. Disney Plus had just come online November of 2019. Uh, and look, we all appreciate that there was all that great content at home. I mean, certainly you didn't want to just sit there and 
stare at the walls or just right. watch the news or whatever. People want to watch movies and all kinds of other content and streaming it always, well, not always, but it been there right. in the modern era. What did you honestly think at the time of those naysayers? Did you, I think I know the answer already because I know what I thought, but I mean, what, what would you, what did you think at the time? Did those naysayers have a point? Did you think for a moment, maybe they're right? Or did you, what did you think of that at the time when people were counting out the movie theater? Well, you know, luckily we have some longevity and, and you know, I, I remember my dad's calming us down and saying, you know, I remember when a VHS came out and it was over, you know, we had two or three yep. years of, of awful and then Home Alone came out and it saved everything, you know, and, and he, you know, when DVDs came out and Netflix and, and we've survived so many things and people at the end of the day, we all kept telling each other, you got to get out of the house. You can only, it doesn't matter if you have a 90 inch TV and the best recliner sofa and you got to get out of the house. And we knew that people were going to need to get out of the house. The fear, of course, was what are the studios going to do? I can't control what the studios do. But right. the history show that you make money when you go to theatrical first. And luckily, I know you're going to get into this. That's been yeah. proven by this pandemic. And, and in fact, you know, we've spent the last 20 years fighting about the window. And now I think there's a solution. And hopefully coming out of COVID, that, that, that conversation is kind of over. We've, we've, we tested it and proved it, not in the way we wanted to, but it worked kind of in our favor, I think, as an exhibitor long, because we there's data now to prove, look, you don't make as much money if you don't go theatrical first. I will say that when, when, we, when everything shut down, dad set the family down and he said, I'm gonna deal with all of our banks. CFO, our CFO, you deal with all the landlords. Brock, I want you to focus on the studios and I also want you to look for opportunities. There are going to be more opportunities than ever before. And this is the time to grow. We will make better deals now than we've ever made. Brittany, you deal with all the vendors and Bobby, you figure out how we're going to get people in these buildings because she's our head of marketing. And it was, it was, oh my gosh, like my marching orders, you know? And so <laughs> we did. And, and we, and what happened was, you know, a lot of times these, these landlords were, would call and I would be the first person to answer because everyone was furloughed. I mean, there was right. nobody. You had to be there the on the front line. And so I, you know, I was still at the office and so, or at my home office. And, uh, but a lot of, of, some of the deals we got were literally because we were the first people that picked up and um, it was incredible. I mean, we grew quicker than we've ever grown. We've acquired 12 theaters, 140 screens. Um, but a lot of that was, was because of the direction, instead of sitting back and going, let's wait it out. We jumped in because we believed, we believed it was going to come back and, yeah. you know, knock on wood, thank, thank <laughs> Thank whatever you believe. Thank the Lord. And, right. And you rallied. And I, I'm, I just want to reiterate, I'm, I'm here speaking with Brock Bagby, Executive Vice President, Chief Content Development Officer at B&B Theaters. I, I'd like to just kind of follow up a little bit on that just for a second. What would you say to those naysayers now who counted out the movie theater then? And, and keep it clean here, Brock. I yeah. Well, keep the language, you know. So my, my son's <laughs> obsessed with Elmo. Um, and so in Elmo's voice, you know, the, ha ha, <laughs> so that's the best Enough said. that's actually a, a pretty good retort. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, I, what's so exciting too, is now we have stats to back it up. We've got Spider-Man, the third biggest movie of all time domestically. We've got Top Gun, which I think's eighth today, but on its way yeah. to fifth, you know, I think Paramount's going to do everything they do can to get it to fifth. Um, so you're going to look at maybe the third and fifth biggest movie of all time in the era that theaters were going to be closed forever and with less theaters than ever before, than we've That's had right. COVID. And so you, I think now when a bank or a landlord or someone asks, how, how are you, I mean, are you guys, what do you think is going to happen long-term? I said, well, well, look what's happened. 
I mean, we've yeah. got the third and, and potentially the fifth biggest movie of all time in this era, which I think is, is, is so great now to have the stats to back it up. That's really important too, because the numbers don't lie. Right. And, and obviously it was very short-sighted of people to think, oh, it was over. And I think too, and we've talked about this before, and a lot of people have talked about the drive-in movie theater coming to the forefront, not only in terms of the box office, going from like one or 2% of the box office, let's say in the pre-pandemic era, to 90% of it in April, May, you know, April, May, and June, really the summer season of 2020, which almost didn't exist. But I, I think the drive-ins were like a beacon of hope to show that people wanted to seek, they were seeking out that big screen communal experience. I always say they were literally driven right. to go to the movie theater. And that. did that did that give you and your family hope uh, yes. for the future? Yes, we have a twin drive-in and a single screen drive-in. And um, the, those were the only two profitable theaters in 2020. And it was <laughs> yeah. just, it was crazy because, you know, you th these grosses were just insane. And, and it was retro movies because there wasn't new content. And um, we'd still talk about it at our twin drive-in because Goonies that summer, we just kept bringing back because it kept working. And at the end of 2020, from Mar March, I think we finally opened in May, but from May, mm -hmm. To the end of the year we had done $135,000 on Goonies which <laughs> I think is pretty incredible and um, so the joke now on in the bookings department which you know I oversee is uh, every week when we're like oh what are we going to pair that with at the twin you know because it's always double features and the joke every Monday is I'll just throw in Goonies it'll work so, <laughs> so uh, it's become a pretty good joke but that just proved people gotta get you got to get out of the house yeah and it didn't matter how much content was available at home which it's basically unlimited. I mean, right. all the platforms and all the content on there. And I would even, I've argued this for a while that the movie theater is a truly bespoke, curated, and I don't want to say boutique experience, but it is in a sense compared to the giant ecosystem of streaming where a movie can get lost right. in that ocean of content, whereas a Top Gun or a Doctor Strange or Nope, all these movies, they get so much more of a cultural resonance, which elevates them even further through the exclusivity and prestige of the movie theater release. And I'm sure, and obviously you and your family know that uh, better than, than anyone, but I want to ask you, when did you, when was that moment where you're like, this movie or this event, and really it, it, I think it comes down to a movie or movies where you knew that the movie theater and your theaters were going to make that big Hollywood comeback. Was there a moment? Was there a, a certain movie or a specific set of circumstances that took place within the industry that made you say, we're coming back? I always, I always knew it, but this is a sign that, it, that the industry is coming back. Well, we were certainly excited, you know, May of 21 when Quiet Place kind of kicked it off. But yeah. for us, it was, and I think this, you probably know this, it was Spider-Man. I mean, yeah. Spider-Man, we were like, oh my gosh, not only is this huge, it's one of the biggest openings of all time. And then it just kept playing and playing and playing. And, yeah. and we were just, you know, so excited. And that's that's for us when we were like, we are back. Not only are we back, we're back and better than ever. And, and that was a pretty heavy time for the virus, you know, the, the right. uh, you know, co for COVID. And to post the second biggest domestic opening weekend of all time with no asterisk right. at that point. I think I agree with you for, for me as well. That was the moment where I'm like, if people are not going to the movie theater, well, wait, they sure are. Look at, yeah. look at the performance of that movie. But I think what's happened, and we'll get a little bit into this a little bit later, is that now the marketplace is more balanced. I believe that when uh, 
Spider-Man opened, it represented 92% of that weekend's box office. So it was really top heavy with that movie, but Hey, right. you got to start somewhere. And we kept building with more and more movies like the Batman and others. Uh, and you mentioned a quiet place part two, which really was one of those movies that where we started getting that notion that, Hey, theaters are coming back. I remember that open Memorial weekend of, of 21 that really kicked off the summer a little late, but better right. late than never. And free guy was another movie Yes. That was a theatrical release only that for me really solidified the idea that to have that fear of missing out, to have that social media buzz, you got to go theatrical first. Right. And that really played out there. But and that that segues into my next question for you, which is the industry at some point you alluded to this earlier, started realizing that a day and date release was not advantageous for a movie that was uh, designed and built for the movie theater. That if a movie had that kind of budget, a big budget, or even a small budget, if you go day and date, you can't necessarily build a profitable blockbuster. What was the turning point for you? Was there a, a moment where you thought, hey, the industry is now realizing day and date isn't going to work and that the movie industry is going to bounce back big and we're not giving up on that movie theater experience? Well, I, 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 you know, my dad is vice chair of NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners, and mm -hmm. so very entrenched in NATO and all the work they're doing, especially him. Um, and they've always done a great job of gathering data. And even pre-COVID, they had all this data showing that movies are valued more if they're theatrically first. But what was so great was after Black Widow, um, they, they came out with that big release. They had proving the, the amount of piracy, the second week drop, and right. and. It, again, it's the numbers are, are there. There's true data showing, look what happened, look how many views there were that were illegal, look how much it was shared. And I think that at least felt like it started the momentum of this isn't going to work financially for these studios. It just doesn't yeah. make financial sense when you're spending 200 plus million to make a film when you have a 70, 80% drop on your day and date. And, and, I, think, and I agree. I, I think we also um, realized too that if your movie opens day and date, it just doesn't have that longevity. It doesn't seem to have the cultural resonance. And I think it, like you said, it's really been proven out in the numbers, but I want to segue into what is it like working in a family business that I think so many people would love to be a part of. And I feel free to give a shout out to your, your, by name, to your family, your dad, obviously Bob Bagby, a legend in this business. And I I've had the honor to be on a panel with Bob and that I thought I was enthusiastic about the industry. <laughs> this guy puts me to shame. So let's, let's talk about your family a little bit. I mean, I know you're very tight knit. You have that passion for the movie theater, passion for the movies. Uh, you love your, your, your patrons. I hate even to call them. They're not consumers. Yes. Your movie fans really. Yes. How do you feel about your movie fans? And let's talk, but first let's, let's just give a shout out and recognize your family. Yeah. You know, we, we are so, tighten it and and again I think the legacy has kept us together and not fighting because we were honoring the history and our grandparents that we were so close to and and you know it's interesting people are, will say to me well how are you three meaning my sister Bobby Bagby Ford my other sister Brittany Bagby Baker who are all equally executive vice presidents and then different areas we oversee going to do it the three of you together because you know, it's just Bob. And, and I'm quick to remind them that when in the 80s and 90s, it was my dad, his dad and my mom's dad. So there was three of them that ran the company. Yeah. And they all had different talents and we all have different talents. And I think there's a little bit of that happening. You know, Sterling, my dad's dad, was very aggressive and 
would announce projects before they were ready to be announced and would, would start construction. And uh, Elmer, my mom's dad was very conservative and my dad was kind of somewhere in the middle. And we have that similar dynamic. I'm the aggressive one. I want to grow, grow, grow. My, my sister's very conservative, Brittany. And then my oldest sister is, is uh, kind of in the middle. So it really works. Um, and we just all work well together. We have a kind of a, a motto that says, leave it in the boardroom. So we have family meetings, you know, it's board meetings, but it's just the family and, you know, we'll, we'll argue, we'll bash it out. But by the end, we, we, we move, move on and we leave it in the boardroom. And it's something that it really works for us. And we don't dwell on it. It's, it's over. Once it's over, it's over. And it's not a fight. It's just, no, I'd rather do right. it this way. No, I'd rather have this concept. I think leave it in the boardroom are words to live by. I mean, certainly we all have families and I grew up with three older sisters Clarice, Claudia, and Celeste. So we're into the naming thing in my family. And, uh, but we didn't have to work together. And I don't know how that would have played out, but it just seems like you have this collective passion. And again, yeah. I think there is something about, they say when singers from the same family sing together, there's a special sound there. And I think you guys sing together really well. Thank Not to put you, too fine a point on it, but I, I, no, I really get that feeling. I really and we do all sing feeling. together. We actually still sing at church together. We, we there all you go. Leave so I'm right. Congregation. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I it's, love it. So that's I a love it. Other. Well, let's look ahead. Let's look at the movies that you're most excited about that you think will grab audiences in the next few months and into next year. I don't want to put you too much on the spot because there's so many cool movies on the horizon, but what, what are those movies that are coming up that you think are going to really grab the audience? And also, I think it's worth mentioning that even though much has been made of the fact that, well, perhaps until November, there won't be a hundred million dollar opener. There's still a lot of really cool movies there. And I would argue great movies generating box office collectively, rather than just one movie dominating is still good for business and creates goodwill with audiences, I'm thinking of something like Don't Worry Darling coming up. That looks so cool. If it lives up to that trailer, which I think it will, again, not a movie that's necessarily an open with $100 million, but that's not the point, right? It's more about just creating great experiences. Absolutely. That's the one I'm personally most excited about this fall. So I, I, it's interesting you said that. And hopefully yeah. others feel that way, you know, if, if the word can get out, because I think it looks fantastic. I heard, yeah. I didn't see it yesterday, but I heard B screen very well. Um, oh it, yeah. It's got a chance. The, the tracking's actually stronger than anybody expected. It could Definitely. That's right. Of course, obviously when you get, I'm, I'm a Halloween fan, so I can't wait for the final one. But Halloween ends that definitely, that's yeah. another one that should be on everyone's radar. Yeah, I can't Black Adam that. is another one. There's before, a lot of big movies. Well, not just a, the trailer is fantastic. Oh, Wakanda Forever was, is going to be. Was huge. I saw a Forbes article last week that was talking about how Wakanda and Avatar could be as big as Top Gun, uh, if not bigger, which yeah. I think we're, we've been so focused on the summer wave and we've had time to really think through that. But the, I mean, the Wakanda trailer is incredible. If it's even half as good as the trailer, it's going to be massive. Personally, I'm excited for it. But of course, you know, from a financial standpoint, I'm excited as well. And then next year, I mean, if you really sit down, March is so crowded and it's incredible. I mean, January is a little light. February, you got Ant-Man. But then March, it's just slam-packed and getting more slam-packed. Things keep moving into March. And then it's a race till August. I mean, it's yeah. there, is, there is something every week or every other week until August. And, and 23 is shaping up to be very strong. Um, there's not as many, like, I don't see a Top Gun, like a $700 million movie, mm -hmm. but I see a lot of 300 plus movies that'll add up to something really incredible. And what matters is at the end of the year, what do we wind up with? I mean, right. you're going to have box office ups and downs. And obviously the $11 billion traditional domestic box office got a ways to go to get there. But the fact that we are where we are with fewer titles right. at this point in this year. So 
dollar for, I mean, dollar for dollar or movie for movie, they're, they're punching above their weight. I mean, these movies like Top Gun and Doctor Strange and all the big movies that have come out this summer and even this year, they're doing incredibly well. We wind up the year at 7 billion plus or more. That's a win to me, considering that in 2020, the entire box office year generated between 2.3 and 2.5 billion. 1.8 billion of that was earned between Jan 1 and the middle of March. So think about that. And then 2021, four and a half billion. So we're, we're seeing those signs that we're coming back. And then this year, if we're over 7 billion even, which we, I think obviously we will be, but how far above that we get, we don't know yet. That's a big win for an industry that a lot of people have counted out, especially when the pandemic hit. I agree hundred percent. And so, we're very fortunate because we, we, were, we remodeled four theaters dur during the pandemic that were already ready to go. And then we, I think we had five or six in 2019. So all of those are actually up, even the box office is down. Those theaters are up significantly over 19, which has propelled our whole circuit up. Um, so we're only down as of last week, same stores, 6% over 19. We're so excited about the growth we've had and the acquisitions we've had. And, and a lot of them are just now starting to see the, the fruition of what we were hoping to accomplish. We have 10 projects in construction or pre-construction. Um, some of those were existing before. A lot of those were acquisitions that we you know, worked out with the landlord or the developer to remodel, but it takes time to draw the plans and get you know, yeah. everything. And so a lot of those have now just begun or are in mid-remodel. Um, and several of them, you know, we, we, we acquired some really big theaters that were going to dump some screens and convert to bowling and arcade and restaurant and bar and grill and um, all sorts of other fun activities, ropes courses and things. Um, but, you know, it's still keeping the, the PLFs, you know, in place because you really need those big screens for those opening weekends. That's so cool. Well, Brock Bagby, Executive Vice President, Chief Content and Development Officer at BNB Theaters. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I think everyone should seek out BNB Theaters. Even if they're not in a state that you live, you can fly or drive there. Thank, Thank you. you, Brock, for being here. I look forward to seeing you soon. I'll see you at the movies. Yes, amen. All right. Thank you.